Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. This is The Savior Said, an episode for November 4th through 10th. Hebrews 1 through 6 is what we are talking about today. And the title of this episode is Jesus Christ, the Author of Eternal Salvation. And you know I love that because I love when we refer to Jesus Christ as an author because, you know, books and libraries and that's all my jam. So um, I love when we talk about Jesus Christ as the author of our salvation. And we've got all kinds of really good stuff coming up for you in this episode. We're going to talk about who wrote Hebrews. You guys are going to get to meet my sister, Christy. I'm interviewing her for part of this episode, so stay tuned because you get to meet my awesome sister. I'm really excited about that. All kinds of good stuff coming up, so here we go. Let's jump on in. I found the introduction really interesting, Um, and they talked about we have to give up something in order to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be bad habits, beliefs, unwholesome associations, something else. And it talks about, you know, when they were bringing in the Gentiles, the Gentiles gave up, you know, their false gods, maybe false practices and things like that. But then the children of Israel, the Hebrews, when they came into the gospel, they had been living a gospel that was preparing them for Christ. And so this was a gospel that was bringing them to God, but they still had to give that up to come unto Christ. And so that was kind of a difficult transition, I think, for them. And giving up some of the traditions of their fathers that had been, you know, leading them towards Christ to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the intro in Come Follow Me actually even says, would accepting Christianity mean that the Hebrews must give up their earlier beliefs in history? The epistle to the Hebrews sought to help settle such questions by teaching that the law of Moses, the prophets, and the ordinances are all important, but Jesus Christ is greater. In fact, all these things point to and testify of Christ as the Son of God and the promised Messiah the Jews had been waiting for. The message for the Hebrews, and for all of us, is that sometimes we must give up traditions to make Jesus Christ the center of our worship and of our lives. For it is through Christ that we may obtain mercy. So I took a moment, I tried to think of times in my life where maybe traditions kind of impinged upon my relationship with my Savior and, you know, cultural stuff. Because, you know, we have lots of cultural stuff that we've built up um, in the church, I think, over the years. And thank goodness, I think we're starting to see some of that kind of chip away. But I think that there's some of that sometimes that hampers, you know, our relationships with one another. Um, It hampers some of the ways that we worship. And so I was trying to think of an example of that that I could share with you guys. And one that came to me was when I was primary president, like a year or so ago, you know, I was talking with one of our nursery workers. And she came to me and she said, okay, so we've got something going on. And she's like, I'm afraid it's not okay because one of the nursery leaders and one of the other wards told me it's not okay. But I'm like, okay, okay, just tell me what's going on. 
And she said that they had one little girl get up, you know, when it was snack time, that they had one little girl get up and she said the prayer. And then another little girl got up and she wanted to say a prayer too. So she said a prayer too. And then the little boy wanted to say a prayer. And so all the little primary kids like all got around a circle around snack time there in the nursery and they were all saying prayers. And one of the nursery leaders from a neighboring ward said that that was not okay, that there needed to be one opening prayer for snack time. And that was it, which y'all, I know this sounds so trivial, but you know, go with me here. It's it's an example. And so I told her, I was like, no, I'm not going to tell these little babies that they cannot talk to their heavenly father at church because traditionally we've only had one opening prayer. Anytime one of those little babies wants to speak to their heavenly father in prayer, you let them pray. I'm like, I don't care what part of nursery it is, snack time, singing time, play time. If they want to pray, you let them pray. Like, it is okay. So the tradition of having one opening prayer, if we had followed that, then those little kids wouldn't have had the chance to pray to their heavenly father. Or that, you know, they would have been told that praying to their heavenly father at that point was inappropriate. And that's just not a good thing, right? So we want to make sure that we, when we're following traditions and things, things like that, we need to be able to parse out like what is tradition and what is actual gospel doctrine and what leads us to Jesus Christ and what is the most central, important part of whatever it is that we're doing. You know, another tradition I keep thinking of is the young men wearing white shirts when they serve the sacrament. I know that that is something that is respectful and it shows respect for the sacrament and for the ordinance that we're doing. But is it gospel doctrine or is that a tradition? You know, and if we have a young man who can't afford a white shirt and maybe he's wearing a green shirt or a blue button down shirt, is it still okay for him to serve the sacrament? Yes. Yes, it is. Because you know what? He's helping people partake in an ordinance of Jesus Christ. So, you know, I think that there's just stuff like that where we've got to figure out like what's tradition that we can let go of if it's necessary and what is actual gospel doctrine? How do we get closer to Jesus Christ? So that was one of the ideas that I kind of thought of. And so I think for the Hebrews... As they were kind of making this transition to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had several similar kind of situations. However, I think their situation was much more severe than little babies praying in nursery or the color of shirts you wear to serve the sacrament because their situation was the traditions of their life, their traditions of their every day that they had to give up to come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So for them, it was much more severe. It was probably a whole lot harder. Um, a lot of times, I think, that's so silly. Those Jews had a, such a hard time coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Didn't they know? Didn't they just believe? But no, like this had been their lives. Like every moment of their lives had been like scheduled out for them by the law of Moses and the law and the prophets. And they were giving that up to come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, freedom is kind of a scary thing when you've never had it before. You know, I think of our country when it was just starting out, the United States, you know, it had never known the freedom that our government that we currently have, it gives its people. You know, they'd only known a king and they'd only known that kind of tyranny. And so, how do they come up with this freedom, with this free form of government? And how do they live their lives under this new form of government? And kind of switching over that whole mindset, I think it was probably very similar to the Jews switching over to the Christian mindset. So one of the things that I want to get out of the way here, <laughs> it's a giant elephant that has kind of sat in my room with me as I've been doing these episodes about Paul. And Come Follow Me actually addresses it. It says, who wrote the epistle to the Hebrews? Okay. 
Because there is some historical evidence and some historical debate among biblical scholars about which of the epistles Paul actually wrote and which ones were written by assistants or maybe were written like post-mortem by his friends who like knew his doctrines and things like that. Okay, so I don't want to shake anybody's testimony at all, but this is actually a really good moment, I think, to talk about what to do when we find evidence or historical stuff or, you know, arguments that maybe kind of shake the veracity of the different documents that we're reading. And I'm thinking this is something we can talk about a lot when we get to the Book of Mormon, too. In my mind, truth does not stop being truth just because it does not come in the route that I expected it to. Does that make sense? Here when we read in Come Follow Me, let me let me tell you what Come Follow Me has to say, okay? Some scholars have questioned whether Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews. The literary style of Hebrews is somewhat different from Paul's other letters, and the earliest versions of the text did not name an author. However, because the ideas expressed in Hebrews are consistent with Paul's other teachings, Latter-day Saints, in keeping with Christian tradition, have generally accepted that Paul was at least involved in writing this epistle. There's also some controversy surrounding some of the other epistles, too, that, um, you know, maybe Paul had written part of it, and then people after his death had added stuff on, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, truth does not stop being truth just because it doesn't come in the way we expected it to. So just because maybe Paul didn't write this epistle or didn't write all of it doesn't make it less true. President Uchtdorf has a really good talk called Come Join Us. And for those who are struggling with, you know, did Paul write this? Did he not write this? I don't want it to shake your testimony. But here's what President Uchtdorf says in Come Join Us. And this isn't about Paul or anything like that. This is about what to do when we're struggling with, you know, is this true? Is this not true? I've got doubts, that kind of thing. So President Uchtdorf says, Some struggle with unanswered questions about things that have been done or said in the past. Sometimes questions arise because we simply don't have all the information and we just need a bit more patience. When the entire truth is eventually known, things that didn't make sense to us before will be resolved to our satisfaction. Sometimes there is a difference of opinion as to what the facts really mean. A question that creates doubt in some can, after careful investigation, build faith in others. It is unfortunate that some have stumbled because of the mistakes made by men. But in spite of this, the eternal truth of the restored gospel found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not tarnished, diminished, or destroyed. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, please, first doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. We must never allow doubt to hold us prisoner and keep us from the divine love, peace, and gifts that come through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So to kind of going back to address that, you know, it says Latter-day Saints generally accept that Paul was at least, you know, involved in writing this epistle. When we hear historical facts about, you know, hey, this person didn't really write this, because I know there's lots of questions about even like the, the four Gospels. There's questions about the actual authorship of those four Gospels as well. When we hear questions about that, does that stop it from being true? Does that stop it from being, as President Uchtdorf says, the eternal truth of the restored gospel found in the gospel of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Does that tarnish it or diminish it or destroy it? No, truth is still truth, no matter where it comes from and no matter how it came to us. You know, just because it didn't come from this guy 2,000 years ago who, you know, church tradition has said for 2,000 years has written this, 
you know, there was a lot of chaos and a lot of craziness in the early Christian church. And it's a miracle, honestly, that we have as much of the gospel truth as we do. I just wanted to point that out there. Um, it's something that I've been kind of thinking of as we've been going through some of the other epistles of Paul. Um, there are definitely some parts where I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know that this is Paul. Um, but I do want to say it because I don't want to shake anybody's faith. So I just want you to know, hold on to truth. And if you're really struggling with that, I definitely recommend praying about it because the Holy Ghost will tell you the truth of all things. There's also, it goes to that whole, you know, what is a saving doctrine and what is not a saving doctrine? At the end of the day, when I stand before my Heavenly Father, is He going to ask me who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews? No. He's going to ask me, do I believe in my Savior, Jesus Christ? And I'll be able to answer yes, because I've read the book of Hebrews, and I've read the doctrine inside of it, and that testifies of Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? I know that was kind of rambly and kind of all over the place, but I've just been thinking about it a lot, which is why it like branched off in like so many different directions. But yeah, okay, getting back on board. Back on board with Come Follow Me, all right? The next section in Come Follow Me is from Hebrews 1 through 5. Jesus Christ is the express image of Heavenly Father. And it talks about the Jews having a difficulty in accepting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And when we go into the different epistles of Paul, we see a lot of times that he differentiates between Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And we see that over and over again, him differentiating between the two, because this was such a foreign concept to the Jews, right? And so the Epistle of Hebrews teaches everything that Jesus testifies and exemplifies. As you read the first five chapters in Hebrews, you might keep a list of Jesus Christ's titles, roles, attributes, and works you find mentioned. What do these things teach you about the Savior, and what do they teach you about Heavenly Father? Well, first of all, when you start out in Hebrews 1, it talks all about them creating the world. I think that is a really good place to start because it talks about, you know, the Father being in charge, but then Christ being appointed to actually go and create the world. And I think that is a really good way to set up, especially for Jews or people who, you know, are not familiar with the idea of the Father and the Son, kind of their relationship. You know, Heavenly Father is in charge, but Christ enacts his will perfectly. And we can read in Hebrews 1 2, it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he hath made the worlds. And that's what I was talking about right there. He's the heir of the Father. So that shows us again their relationship. And in Hebrews 2, 9, we see, But we see Jesus, who is made little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I love that there because it talks about God sending his Son to condescend to the level of men that he might know death, that he might know mankind, that he might know humanity, that he might know us. It continues on in Hebrews 2, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, saying, you know, he wasn't, didn't take on him divinity when he was here on earth. He was legitimately a man, a seed of Abraham here on earth with us. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be like made unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. 
And I love that. It makes him so personal to us. He's been tempted, so he knows what it's like. He's experienced what we've experienced, so he knows what it's like. He's able to be the perfect judge for us because he's been there. Then in Hebrews 4, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I love that Hebrews four fifteen and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. We have a Savior who has been through what we've been through. We have a Savior who can be touched. He was in all points tempted like we are, but yet without sin. And therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace, to the throne of Christ, and obtain mercy because he knows what we are going through. And Hebrews 5, 8, it tells us a little bit more about the relationship between he and his Father in heaven. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So what I see here is, you know, it shows the relationship between Jesus Christ and his Father in heaven. Kind of Jesus Christ is like, I guess, the ambassador to the earth and to the people here to kind of experience what it's like to be human, to experience what it's like to be tempted and to experience human weakness and bodily weakness and hurt and the things that we experience here on earth. And that shows that we have a God who's merciful. You know, I think a lot of times the Jews had this idea of God who, you know, was angry with them or was powerful, but they didn't have a God who was human and who had human emotions. And Christ put on a human face to that idea of God for them. Jeffrey R. Holland has a really good quote about this in his talk, The Grandeur of God, from November 2003, Ensign. And you get a little bit of it in Come Follow Me, but I'm going to read you the extended version. All right, it says, In that sense, Jesus did not come to improve God's view of man nearly so much as he came to improve man's view of God and to plead with them to love their Heavenly Father as he always has and will always love them. The plan of God, the power of God, the holiness of God, yea, even the anger and the judgment of God, they had occasion to understand. But the love of God, the profound depth of his devotion to his children, they still did not fully know until Christ came. So feeding the hungry, healing the sick, rebuking hypocrisy, pleading for faith, this was Christ showing us the way of the Father who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, long-suffering, and full of goodness. In his life, and especially in his death, Christ was declaring, This is God's compassion I am showing you, as well as my own. In the perfect Son's manifestation of the perfect Father's care, in their mutual suffering and their shared sorrow for the sins and the heartaches of the rest of us, we see ultimate meaning in the declaration, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jeffrey R. Holland continues, I bear personal witness this day of a personal living God, who knows our names, hears and answers our prayers, and cherishes us eternally as children of his Spirit. I testify that amidst the wondrously complex tasks inherent in the universe, he seeks our individual happiness and safety above all other godly concerns. We are created in his very image and likeness, and Jesus of Nazareth, his only begotten Son in the flesh, 
came to earth as the perfect mortal manifestation of his grandeur. What powerful words from Jeffrey R. Holland. I love that so much because it encapsulates like what we're seeing right there in Hebrews 1 through 5. You know, that Christ came to earth as a representation of the grandeur of God, but also as a representation of the humanity of God, that he took upon him, you know, the same things that we would experience so that when we come before him, he knows how to succor us and how to walk us through what we're experiencing, which leads us into the next section of Come Follow Me. All right, so in this next section, y'all are going to get to meet my sister, Christy. I am so grateful that she did this. Um, And we recorded it over a phone call, so the audio quality is not the best. Remember, I'm still learning how to podcast things. So um, this is a learning experience for us, but I hope that you can still hear it. Now, Christy suffers from a pain syndrome. It's called CRPS, and that stands for Complex Regional Pain Syndrome. And it happened after an accident that she had um, in one of her ankles. And so she's going to tell you a little bit more about that and how her faith in Jesus Christ helped get her through it. But not only that, but just life in general. She's the mom to two precious little boys, very hyperactive, precious little boys. I love my nephews. They are so cute, but they're also very wild. And so she talks a little bit about that as well. Um, As you listen to the recording, you may hear lots of sniffling. Both of us were suffering from allergies. And then, you know, you start talking about Christ and the spirit touches your heart and, you know, sniffles come. So please excuse the sniffles and just enjoy, you know, this moment between sisters talking about Christ and how he helps us through our pain. So our next section in Come Follow Me is Jesus Christ suffered temptations and infirmities so that he can understand and help me. And when I was looking at this section, I was trying to think of someone who I know who's been through a lot, but has still held on to their faith in Christ and it's really helped them get through it. And the person that came to my mind was my sister, Christy. So today we are interviewing my sister, Christy. Christy, welcome to The Savior Said. Hi there. (laughs) We are so grateful that she can be here. Um, And we are actually doing this, like, transcontinental phone call interview thing. Like, I'm in one state. She's, like, across the country. So that's really cool. (laughs) I think it's really cool. Um, And so one of the things, you know, it mentions in the Come Follow Me manual, it talks about Alma 7, 11 through 13. And it says, And he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith he will take upon the pains and sicknesses of his people. And Christy, that's really what made me think of you, because I know you have a syndrome that causes you lots of pain. So do you want to tell everybody kind of your story, what you've been through, and kind of some of your struggles? Yeah, absolutely. So in February 2017, I was in a little accident at work. And I had most of my Achilles was lacerated. And in the recovery process, my nervous system kind of went haywire. And I developed this disorder called CRPS. And it's basically any sensation my leg feels, like even like clothing, being touched, whatever it is, my nervous system processes it as pain. So any, like a hand touching it, like putting on clothes when they brush it, it's registered just as pain, as like burning, stabbing, crushing pain. Yeah, it's like really, really awful. It's one of the worst syndromes to have, huh? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Um, how has your faith in Jesus Christ helped you as you've gone through this process? Because this isn't something like that's just happened like, you know, a couple weeks ago. This has been like years that you've been dealing with this. 
Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because, like, right now, probably the last couple months, it's been, like, a shift from, yeah, I have this pain problem to all of a sudden, like, okay, well, this is life now. So it's kind of like all of a sudden I'm realizing this life sentence I have because it's not going to go away. And so in the last couple of months, I've really had to rely on Christ and my relationship with Heavenly Father and just knowing I'm not alone because there's a lot of legal problems that have come with this and there's a lot of stress and I mean there's a lot of things that have become difficult for me like because I have two little wild animals <laughs> for children and um, finding the strength to get through everything you know because with chronic pain and chronic illness you know no matter what kind it is there's a huge sense of loneliness because yes. somebody else might have chronic pain, but it's completely different than the chronic pain and the and the trials I'm having. And so there's a lot of times where it's like I'm I'm all alone, like, and that gets really hard. But to know that I'm actually not alone, like the Savior, He has felt every single pain I have felt, like not just the physical pain, He's felt the anxiety and the loss and the grief, and He has felt He has felt all the problems I have felt, and so. I know that I'm not alone, that I have someone else to rely on. I love that so much. And, you know, the message of the Hebrews, I think, is so powerful because, you know, the Jews were waiting on a Savior to come and free them from the Roman occupation. And they were waiting on someone to come save them in a very outward kind of fashion. But we see here in Hebrews especially where it shows how Christ comes in and he takes our pain and our anxiety and our loneliness, all the things that we're feeling, and he takes them upon himself. Yes, definitely. Has, has there been any times or moments where you have really, like, expressly felt that? Or any examples where you can really put a finger on and say, that was Christ, you know, working in my life during that moment? Um, you know, recently, um, I kind of, like, just in the last few days, I kind of came to this realization. I don't know if this answers your question. But kind of what I've noticed it the most recently, and it, this is me kind of looking back at the last two and a half years, pulling all my experiences together, being like, oh, duh, like, that's what that was. You know, we always hear about Christ being an advocate for us, and I've always kind of thought about that in, like, you know, in reference to sins, but I just kind of, it was like a light bulb moment where I realized that Christ also is an advocate for us in the, in that he, you know, he can relay to Heavenly Father what we're going through, because I, ever since I got hurt, I've had blessing after blessing after blessing, and every single one of them, no matter who's giving me the blessing, they always start the same. It's Heavenly Father knows your trials, and he understands your pain. Heavenly Father didn't come down to earth and go, you know, feel my pain, but Christ did, and Christ can relay that information to him, because he knows. He knows what I've felt, and he knows what I've been through. So kind of just in the last couple of days is probably when I realized that, you know, all along, he knows what I've gone through and he's been my advocate and Heavenly Father knows how to help me and kind of they work as a team. <laughs> Heavenly Father knows what I'm going through because Christ went through it. Beautiful. I had never thought of that before as, you know, his role as advocate in that role, but that is so beautiful. I absolutely love that. That is really, really good. How did he help you, you know, like right after it first happened, did you feel his presence with you like at any point when you were going through like the first, you know, okay, so this is my life now kind of stuff? Yeah, um, the sense of like I had strength I didn't know I had and, you know, and I don't think that came from me. I think that was directly from companionship of the Savior and, you know, the Holy Ghost being a comforter to me. But definitely, you know, the first few days I was hurt, I was, like, traumatized because I had this 11-week-old baby. I had a 3-year-old. Uh, I lived in a two-story townhome. I was like, how am, how am I supposed to do this? <laughs> like, this, 
Like, this is not what you're supposed to have happen to you. I just remember my mother-in-law, I was so mad at her, because she told me, she was like, you can do this. I don't know what your problem is. And I was like, how dare you? I can't do this. And then she kind of really pushed me in the direction of, like, you're, you're not alone, and you don't have to sit there and be miserable. Like, you have strength from Christ and Heavenly Father. They can lift you up. They can help you. And, like, you have total access to that. Like, and you're not using it. And I was so mad at her. I was like, how, how dare you? And then, like, later, I stopped, and I was like, she's right. And, you know, my prayers really shifted from, like, you know, help me get through this to just help me figure this out. And I felt a shift in the, okay, well, now I think and think clearly of how to make this work and how to make things happen so that my little family can continue to function. Yeah, because it's hard to be a mama when you've got, you know, pain and stuff going on. Uh-huh. That's hard, too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so do you have any advice for people out there who are going through something similar? I mean, maybe not something exactly the same, but they have just encountered a major trial they were not expecting, and it's all of a sudden kind of landed on them how to turn to their savior like i love the example that you gave of your mother-in-law kind of being like okay you can do this like suck it up your savior's with you Um, and any other advice you have for someone who's found themselves in a similar situation kind of what my mother-in-law said just don't give up because like there's always gonna be trials there's always gonna be mountains in our life and just because they're there doesn't mean that heavenly father and jesus aren't there and they aren't there supporting us because that's how we grow. Trials is how we grow. And it may seem impossible, but it gets a lot harder if you don't have this Savior and you don't have Heavenly Father by your side. And, I, you know, I've had points where I've been angry. I've been like, why me? Like, why did this happen to me? Like, I've done everything right. But I think that if we rely on the fact that we're not alone, that the Savior's felt our pain, that He knows what we're going through, and if we rely on Heavenly Father, guide us to, you know, to kind of just hand over the reins and be like, Lord, I can't do this. Like, help me figure this out. But, you know, the mountain doesn't go away. But we have the tools we need to get over it. So my advice is to just hang on to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as your hiking companions to get over whatever trial or mountain you're facing. Absolutely. And what are some of the hiking tools that bring you closer to your Heavenly Father and your Savior? Definitely prayer and reading my scriptures. I feel like every time, you know, with the Come Follow Me curriculum, I feel like every single time I open up and read what I'm supposed to be reading, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, this was for me. <laughs> so, I mean, Come Follow Me came, like, a perfect time in my life. So just scriptures. And you know what actually I found to be the biggest help is just surrounding myself with positivity. And, I mean, that includes, like, the music I'm listening to. Like, I listen to a lot of Lauren Daigle and a lot of... <laughs> you know, LDS music and Christian music, and, you know, I pay attention to the influence of, like, the social media around me. I stepped away from Facebook for a while. Um, I just try to surround myself with positivity and with, you know, the things Heavenly Father would want me to surround myself with. Um, so, yeah, a lot of scriptures, a lot of conference talk reading, a lot of t- time in the temple, and just focusing on getting over the mountain. Yeah. Well, and not in knowing the mountain's not going to go away, it's like finding a comfortable spot on the mountain. Yep. <laughs> Figure out how to make that mountain work. <laughs> yeah, you know, and how to, how to hang out on the mountain. Yeah. 
that's so hard. But I think your advice is absolutely right. And I love the point that you made about surrounding yourself with positivity. Um, you know, I'm thinking in my life, you know, you said about stepping away from Facebook. And I'm like, I think I need to do that. Like, I think I really do. Because you're right. There's so much negativity out there on social media. And I gripe about it all the time. But I'm like, I can actually do something about it. I can step away from it. Yeah. I love Lauren Daigle. You know I do. And the Christian music, too. I, I, I'm there with you. But. That's a really good point. You know, not only praying and reading and, you know, I'm right with you on Come Follow Me, but just surrounding yourself with positivity because our mm-hmm. Savior is positive and our Heavenly Father is positive, and that's what they want us to look at, right? Right, absolutely. And it makes, makes things easier. <laughs> it really does. It really does. Okay, in this last section, in order to receive God's blessings, I must harden not my heart. It says, even though they had been converted to Christianity, some of the Jewish saints found it difficult to fully accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and its blessings. By retelling the story of the ancient Israelites, Paul hoped to persuade the Jews to avoid the mistakes their ancestors had made, rejecting God's blessings because of unbelief. And, you know, he goes in in Hebrews 3, 7 through 19, and he starts talking, you know, take heed, you know, otherwise we will follow the path of the Israelites and things like that. And it says, consider how Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 11 might apply to you. To do this, you might ponder questions like, how did the Israelites provoke the Lord? What are the consequences of having a hard heart? When have I allowed my heart to become hardened? Are there any blessing God wants to give me that I am not receiving because of my lack of faith? And what can I do to develop a soft and contrite heart? Okay, so this made me think, you know, I have, I've kind of alluded to it, I think, numerous times in different episodes, but I haven't come right out and said it. But I've been going through a really big trial the last couple of months um, with the new job that I'm at. It's It's been a really big struggle to adjust to my new daily schedule, um, to adjust the new responsibilities that I'm doing, the new social climate of my coworkers and things like that. It's just, it's been really, really tough. Um, I'm working 10-hour days every day, and then I come home, and I'm exhausted, and I still have to be a wife and a mom. I have to take care of the house. I have to cook dinner. You know, I have to do all this stuff, and I find myself exhausted, and it's really starting to take a toll on my health. Um, I pretty much every weekend just go into hibernation because I'm sleeping because I'm just so exhausted from everything that went on throughout the week, and so, I mean, I've even started getting sick again. I've got head walking pneumonia. I'm finding my different levels and my different autoimmune stuff is going haywire. I have vitiligo. Vitiligo is where my immune system attacks the melanin in my skin, so there's these white patches. So I can even see since starting this job, these white patches just spreading. I mean, they've almost doubled in size um, just because of the stress that my body has been under because of this new job. And all along, I know that my Heavenly Father wants me to be where I am. I know that this is a calling from Him, a mission given specifically to me to go be at this new school. You know, it's a very rural, very isolated community. It's a Title I community. We have almost 60% impoverished kids. Um, The stories of some of these kids would break your heart. 
But because of that, there's lots and lots of needs. And so I just feel like I'm just giving so much of myself every day that it's, you know, kind of taking a toll on me. Recently, especially as I was listening to conference, and every day just as I drive to work and as I drive home, I'm just praying. I'm like, you know, give me your grace. I have met the physical limits of my abilities to be able to do this. And I can't do this any longer. And I don't understand why this is hard and why you can't make this easier if I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to do the right thing. And... You know, I know at some point there's going to be blessings, but this is just hard. I found myself kind of almost hardening my heart and being really mad that I'm in this situation. And then conference came. And Elder Johnson's talk, you know, if you listen to my conference wrap-up episode, I talked about Elder Johnson's talk just really hit home to me. I really, really loved it. And one of the things that he recommended doing was reading the Book of Mormon every day, every day, every day. You remember that? But then I'm like, you know, and I know a lot of you have struggled with the same kind of conflict, like how do I do come follow me and study my New Testament in the way that I'm supposed to, but still read the Book of Mormon every day? Like how do I balance all that out? And so what I've kind of done is I've found myself reading a chapter in the New Testament in our Come Follow Me study, and then reading a chapter in the Book of Mormon, and just kind of like seeing if there's similar themes and stuff like that, and just kind of, you know, hoping that that spirit from reading the Book of Mormon will help sustain me as I'm going through this trial. And as I was reading the Book of Mormon this week, and as I was comparing it to this particular section with the Israelites wandering through the desert, I'm at the part, you know, because I'm starting, I'm reading the Book of Mormon again from the beginning, and so I'm at the part where, you know, Nephi, Lehi, Sariah, they've all picked up, the whole family's picked up, they've left Jerusalem, they're in the desert, they had to go back to get the plates, you know, like that whole thing, and Sariah's complaining, and I'm like, you know what, they were sent on a mission from the Lord, they were given a task to complete from the Lord, and it wasn't easy, it was probably the hardest thing that they had ever had to do in their lives, their health probably suffered too, they were probably starving, like malnourished or whatever in the desert as well, I mean, Nephi had had to go and he had to kill a guy to get these plates and that probably hurt his psychological health as well. I'm sure he had mental health consequences of killing someone as well. Um, I mean, there is all kinds of consequences that the scriptures don't mention, but that as human beings, they probably suffered from this journey. And I think the Israelites were the same way, that they probably suffered a lot of things that the scriptures don't mention from that journey, consequences that were just there because they were doing what the Lord wanted them to do. And so these Jewish saints that Paul is talking to here on Hebrews, when they fully accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and its blessings, it's like they are being launched into this new task, this new calling, and it's hard. It's changing that mindset. It's impacting them in ways that they had never thought it would impact them before. And so that really rang home to me as I read that, as I read my Book of Mormon, as I read Hebrews this week and saw kind of all those themes coming together. And so I know that if I stay close to my Heavenly Father, that there will be blessings that come through this trial that I cannot even begin to imagine. That right now, there's a promised land out there. There's the ability to build ships out there. All the stuff that Nephi and his family had coming, I know is going to be out there. But right now, I'm just in the wilderness, and all I can see is sand. You know, and the next pile of sand that I have to walk over before all the other good stuff comes. And so I know if I stay with my Heavenly Father, I stay close to Him, I do what He wants me to do, and I keep following Him, then eventually I will get to those good blessings that he has in store for me and I'll be able to walk through this trial. That's kind of where I saw myself this week um, when I read that particular section. So anyways, 
I hope that helped. I hope that this has been a good episode. Again, I'm, it's going to be a little bit shorter than my other episodes. I apologize for that. But again, it's just been such an exhausting time in my life. So um, I'm going to go ahead and close it out now. I hope you guys have an awesome week. I hope you keep reading the scriptures. We will be back next week talking more about Hebrews, Hebrews 7 through 13. And a big thank you again to my sister Christy for coming on and talking about her situation and how Christ has strengthened her. And I hope each one of you feels the strength of Jesus Christ in your week this week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.